Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Story Smack. This is Story Smack. Welcome to episode 66 of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, number one New York Times bestselling novelist. And if you try to run, I got six little friends that can run faster than you can, <laughs> which is such a cheesy line. But it's just in his in his hands. It was excellent. And back with us again Today is Empty Set Movie Maven, Rob Otto. Woohoo! Rob, how goes? Hey, Rob. Hey, did you say this is Story Smack number 666? Because yes. uh, for these satanic bloodsuckers, that just works perfectly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, try Absolutely. To, yes. It's, uh, we're going to go and call it episode 66.6. Uh, <laughs> that works too. Okay, so we are rolling along. Uh, a, oh. I think we are. That was me. That's oh, okay. okay. We are talking about. From Dusk Till Dawn. From Dusk Woo! Till Dawn. Do I love this movie so much? We um, are going to uh, talk about it. It came out in 1996. Mm-hmm. And as usual, I was hoping that you could give us your movie announcer trailer and voice. Boy, 1996 a long time ago. I was seven when this movie I mean, came out. mean, you were not. <laughs> here, here goes the, <laughs> the movie voice. On the run from a bank robbery that left several police officers dead, Seth Gecko, played by George Clooney, and his paranoid loose cannon brother, Richard, played by Quentin Tarantino, hightail it to the Mexican border. Kidnapping preacher Jacob Fuller, played by Harvey Cattell, and his kids, the criminals sneak across the border in the family's RV and hole up in a topless bar. Unfortunately, the bar also happens to be home base for a gang of vampires, and the brothers and their hostages have to fight their way out. It does. It, it's a it's a crazy show. It's a batshit. It's a batshit crazy movie. I don't know if Richard's here. Richard finds me a dollar every time. I swear. But, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, why don't you tell us about the financials? I love the financials parts. One of my favorite parts going over the movies is saying what's a hit, what's not a hit, what becomes a cult classic, wasn't there. So how did this movie do with the bank? Uh, so this movie cost nineteen million dollars to make, okay. which we'll get into a little bit. I'm sure Rob uh, has a lot of info about these particular movie makers. Nineteen million dollars was a huge budget for these movie makers. Well, at least for Robert Rodriguez, in 2021 dollars, that's thirty one point six million. That's so the budget, budget was nineteen point nine million or nineteen million dollars, and it made um, twenty six point five million dollars worldwide in its first month. Today, that would be forty three point one. So um, a marginal success then when I mean, you factor a, in the promotional budget and the advertising? Yeah, to be fair, it's, it's a reasonable success. And I think, you know, at, this was back in the day where Miramax was m- m- sort of movie ma- movie magic and they mm-hmm. had Sundance locked up and they had all sorts of stuff locked up. And those things helped promote the movie and didn't take, uh, didn't hit the marketing budget. So yeah, I'd say it didn't probably okay. make back everything in the first month, but it's was pretty successful. Rob, give us real quick, give us your your over, your high end general thought on this movie. Well, the big thing is because it was Miramax and they pretty much let their creators go with mm-hmm. what they need to do. So you get like, you know, 
Robert Kurtzman and Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, and you put them all together, and you're talking about three guys who can make movies in their own image, mm-hmm. merging together, Miramax let them do that. And it's one of those movies that, yeah, didn't do great at the box office, but did so well in the secondary market mm-hmm. that it, it spawned a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, it was a, a quality movie by quality people, and it actually holds up pretty well. Yeah, there's Agreed, yeah. Um, sensitivities. They come from to expect racial sensitivities. So that kind of stuff you roll right over because it's true to the character. Uh-huh. And the movie itself works really well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, okay. for sure. We are having some audio cutouts with Rob, but uh, we will, we'll, we'll manage that there. as best we can. Uh, hey, your general thoughts on the movie? Oh my goodness. I love this movie so much for so many reasons. I love it because uh, Tarantino is of course, an enormously talented writer. He's an enormously talented director. He acts, too. <laughs> um, and that's also true of Robert Rodriguez. He he has acted, and he much less frequently tries to act, um, but he directed this movie and was completely in his element. It's in the desert, which is, is his home. It's a horror show, which is his home. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. I love it so much. And I love so many smart decisions that they made because they could, right? They were they were industry darlings at a time that, you know, that meant the rough and tumble guys, not the Kardashians, right? So to be an industry darling today, you're shiny and an influencer back then, you bucked the system <laughs> from within the system. And I think this movie does that really, really well. And I love it. I, I also like this movie. And my one of my favorite things about this movie, next to uh, Selma Hayek, of course, <laughs> is the... <laughs> What's your favorite two things in this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Uh, We are going to take a pause for a second here, see if we can do anything. Is your phone off the Wi-Fi? Let me check mine. Hold on, guys. We're checking Wi-Fi. We'll edit this out from the podcast, maybe. Nope, my Wi-Fi is off. I wonder what's going on. All right. At any rate, um, could you go shut my computer? That could be it. It's on top of the dresser of all the weird places to have a computer. My favorite part about this movie, I think, is... The the subtle, deft character introductions, the character broad strokes in the first 10 minutes of the movie as we are establishing the Gecko Brothers there. Uh, and this is typical of Quentin Tarantino script, which is just enough information to give you an idea of the situation the guys are in. Um, where where they are going, what their options are, and it's it's all meat, no fat, and it's a very lean serving of what's going on. But you are armed with enough information to 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 know these are unique characters that are similar to things you haven't seen, but are different. They're in a real predicament. They have very few options, and then they get thrown in a completely different direction. That's one thing that Tarantino does really well in it. It's very works great in this movie. Yeah, and this is also. Um, uh the first of a couple of times that, or the second, I guess of a couple of times where Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez work together by each bringing their, their strongest game. Um, and you see that a little bit in this movie, David Lamb, you just asked how much influence did Tarantino have on the writing of the opening act of the movie? And there's a lot of people who will say that the first half of this is Tarantino and the second half of this is Robert Rodriguez. And mm-hmm. if you look at their other movies and especially the grindhouse things that they did, you totally see this. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is is action and movement and and horror and Tarantino is a lot more character driven even though the characters are crazy. <laughs> All right, we are going to talk about the cast. Rob, we'll start out with you, but uh, we'll see how our 
internet connection holds up for you there, buddy. And uh, let's see. First, you I'm don't... used to talking to myself, so if you guys just end up cutting me off, I'm still going to sit here for an hour and talk about this movie. So you just you just, you just keep rolling, Scotty. Do what you got to do. Got you, buddy. Right? Let, let's get ca- right. this. We decided uh, a huge part of this movie happening was a gentleman named Robert Kurtzman. Yeah. So let's start with him. I know you said we're going to talk about the cast. So, of course, I talk about the script. So here we are, <laughs> Kurtzman. Uh, he actually ran KNB Effects Group and, and still does and really is like a huge effects wizard back then and still today in Hollywood. But Kurtzman wrote a treatment for this movie um, thinking it would use a lot of special effects and mm-hmm. he could show off his company's special effects. So he didn't write the script. He actually paid Tarantino 1500 bucks. Quentin Tarantino, you want to talk about how much he uh, effect he had at the beginning of the movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, all. Yeah, he, he wrote the movie. This is this is a Tarantino script from start to finish just okay. based off of Kurtzman's idea, essentially. Mm-hmm. And one thing, so, so Tarantino said, yep, um, I'll take $1,500, but also I want KNB to do the special effects for Reservoir Dogs, which essentially came down to figuring out a way to cut a guy's ear off, right, and dance around with right. it. So, um, so they did that. And, and so, you know, Tarantino knew that they were making Reservoir Dogs, and he got that special effect for free mm-hmm. for writing from dusk till dawn. And then Kurtzman... Just like Rodriguez and Tarantino goes on to have a huge career after this. I mean, we're talking about the special effects and makeup for Green Mile, Simple Plan, over and over and over again. And of course, the cutoff ear in Reservoir Dogs. And the Reservoir crazy thing about huge, that, yeah. uh, the, that one scene in Reservoir Dogs is as soon as you say, you know, that ear, I, I think, stuck in the middle with you. Like, you mm-hmm. can't Steelers help it. It's wheels. so, yeah, so visceral. We're good to go. Yeah, that was such a rough, 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 rough scene. Yes. Um, and as uh, Rob cut out a little bit there, but he's done the special effects for Spy Kids. Mich- oh, that's Rob Rodriguez, excuse me. Scream, Boogie Nights, The Green Mile, and A Simple Misery. Plan. Uh, and... We've covered the Robert Rodriguez stuff? Uh, not really. We'll talk a little bit more about Robert okay. Rodriguez because I have, Robert Rodriguez is one of my all-time heroes. Uh, he made his very first movie called El Mariachi. And if you haven't seen it and have oh, a chance God, to see it, great. you need to see it. Um, you want to shift the effects or the pictures? Yep. Um, he uh, He made that by... He made the money to make the movie by being a guinea pig in phase one clinical trials. And he (laughs) gathered all the money that he and so he lived in a facility for a a month and he had his blood taken 100 times, this, that and the other. And he made about seven thousand dollars. He also wrote the script on index cards while he was in the treatment center for that month being a guinea pig Mm -hmm. and El Mariachi was one of his fellow subjects uh, who he met in there and was like, wait a minute. Was the guy already an actor, babe? No. Well, he wanted to be. He he wanted to be an actor, but he was not necessarily an actor. Um, And so there's, this is Robert Rodriguez on the screen now. Uh, So he pulls himself up by his bootstraps. He gets signed to Miramax. They bring him to Hollywood to essentially remake uh, El Mariachi into a movie called Desperado, which Antonio also has Banderas. Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek oh, in it. <laughs> and it's this this that's up on the screen now. This is his autobiography called Rebel Without a Crew. And if you are a creator of any ilk, I even me, I'm not really a creator. I'm a facilitator for creativity. And this book is so empowering and so interesting. Um, okay. He uh, comes to Hollywood to remake El Mariachi into Desperado. There he is with the with the python, and um, he gets an office at Paramount or whatever, and a stipend for an apartment. 
and he sleeps on his office couch so that he can send money back home so his kid brother can go to school. Wow. He's a rock star. And he goes on to make all sorts of great movies that people love, including Spy Kids, because he made Spy Kids because his kids couldn't watch the movies that he made. (laughs) So he wanted to make a movie for them, too. I uh, love, 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 love him. We will come back to the actors in one second. For those of you listening on the podcast, uh, we're not watching this live. There is a new thing that is the Siglerism Happy Hour. It is the first Saturday of every month from 4 to 11 p.m. Pacific time. And you can get to that at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Siglerism, one word, dash, happy, dash, hour. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Siglerism, Siglerism, dash, happy, dash, hour. That is hosted by Steve the Iceberg, Ricky Bird. Is, is that yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. And it's He's... an open Zoom chat and people can just log on and hang out with other junkies. Yep. And we're going to be, uh, we try to drop in at least a little bit each time, but we're in the midst of recording the Stone Wolves, so I don't know how much time that we'll spend in there. But yeah, people drop in and out. Uh, it was super fun last time. I was making pretzels during the, during the whole thing. <laughs> it was fun. All right. Now we get to talk about one of my all-time favorite creators, and that is, of course, uh, Mr. Quentin Tarantino. This was Tarantino's first. This is a boggling to think that this was one the point his career was at at one point, where this was his first paid writing gig since he wrote Reservoir Dogs, True Romance, Pulp mm. Fiction, and Natural Born Killers on spec. So he didn't get paid to write those initial scripts. Which is so outrageous. Which is crazy. Those, just those movies alone, that is a Hall of Fame Hollywood career. Yeah. And of course now we add From Dust Till Dawn plus all the movies that he directed and it's just, it's incredible. And he, it, I had to go back and research that fact because okay. I just, as soon as I read it, I'm like, well that can't be right. He already had all these other scripts that he had written and then I realized he wrote all those for free then sold the script. So this is the first yes. time he got paid specifically to write a script and that blows my mind. It's, it's Think incredible. About the awesome work, Sigler. You just said it's amazing. It's incredible. He didn't, he didn't get a penny until he sold those scripts. And that yeah. gives you that. That is always an awesome perspective on how difficult it is to make it in Hollywood, yeah. and how much you know connections, perseverance, right place, right time have to be added onto a, a significant amount of hard work and and talent. And to think he had written Reservoir Dogs, True Romance, Pulp Fiction, and Natural Born Killers on his own, on mm-hmm. spec, not getting paid for those. And to think that those four screenplays are just sitting there waiting to be turned into a movie. And you have to wonder what else got made instead of those back in the day. But eventually he percolated uh, up to the top. Well, and you have to wonder if Tarantino, I mean, we'll talk about this. I, I, I think Rob, I, certainly I have a lot to say about the, this particular class of American directors that include Rodriguez and Tarantino and this era of movie making. But he also may have been holding he, he may have been holding all the cards on purpose. Right. And it turns out like he's he, he's Quentin Tarantino for a reason. Right. He's super talented at his job mm-hmm. as a writer director. That said, he may have been holding on to those so that he would have control over how the movies are. You, you may have passed. And, you're right. You're but, right. you know, you're you right. have to do that only only if you have. One, a way to pay the rent, mm-hmm. <laughs> and two, the actual like knowledge that you're that mm-hmm. good of a of a you're gonna make it, or you have to believe that about yourself. And I don't know how anybody does that through four whole screenplays and they just sit on the shelf. It's I don't lot. know how you do that, but he did it, and I'm glad. <laughs> now, Rob, this will be it's it's shocking for me to think about this, and it'd be shocking for people when they realize how how old 25 year old movie this was the movie that made George Clooney a movie star. He had, is this his first big movie? Yeah, it it really was. He'd done plenty of starring ER at the time, which is how he met Tarantino. Tarantino directed an episode of ER. 
and then thought, well, he might be pretty good in one of my movies. Mm-hmm. Never expected him to be in you know, the next So, um, he, but he was not the first choice of anybody. I mean, they looked for, for to play Seth Gecko, Antonio Banderas, Steve Buscemi, Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, John Travolta, Christopher Walken, Jeff Goldblum, James Wood, Robert De Niro. It wanted to play Seth Gecko, right? But almost all of them just had other conflicts going on, right? <laughs> and you saw, it's funny, a bunch of those end up appearing. All right, Rob, we are we are getting for the first time ever in Story Smack, we're getting a lot of internet interference coming from yeah. from your end. Yeah. So uh we will I'll finish up, but yeah, he you we heard you say Bashemi, Madsen, Roth, Travolta, Walk, and Jeff Goldblum, James Wood, Robert De Niro. They all passed because of scheduling conflicts. The only one to outright decline the role was Travolta, because he had no interest in doing a vampire movie. He was doing Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, he did Pulp. Yeah. He went on to do Pulp, pulp Fiction. But, so we'll, he, but he did get his wife, Kelly Preston. Oh, yeah. He gets money out of this movie. Kelly Preston was the newscaster host. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, Clooney, Clooney had, and this is, uh, this is Tarantino style, which <laughs> I, have, I have copped thousands of times in my own work, which is setting up. A, a particular cadence for a pop culture or slang phrase, something to give a character a little bit of zhuzh, if you will. Sure. And in this one, it was uh, Clooney's catchphrase was, okay, Xers, let's go Xing. For example, okay, okay, Ramblers, let's get rambling. Okay, hard drinkers, let's drink hard. And okay, vampire killers, let's kill vampires. And from a writing perspective, that just creates, it's called repetitive structure. It creates a bed of familiarity mm-hmm. for a character, for a situation. And you either have one character repeat those things or you have other characters mimic it as kind of a a subtle way to say these characters are becoming closer and bonding together. Yep, for sure. And that it's that's one of the Well, and tricks. one of the things you see on the screen right now, you see this picture of... Uh, Go back to the gecko. Yeah, uh, uh, Clooney as Seth Gecko. And this, if you think about it and you watched TV back in the day, you remember him from from um, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them. Facts, back of, facts of life. Facts of yeah. life. Thank you. Yeah. And he kind of had this sort of John Stamosy like big long mullet and all this other stuff. And then he shows up in a movie and he'd also be on, been on ER and he was dreamy and all that other stuff. But he shows up kind of greasy and rough and tumble and dirty and that oh my goodness neck tattoo come on now um (laughs) lord let's talk about that neck tattoo um and uh and he's completely completely in the part and he does this beautiful thing where the physicality of him is so different than the physicality of george clooney Mm -hmm. but seth gecko has a lot of clooney in him there are ad libs that are seth that that Seth Gecko says that are George Clooney ad libs the um, the tenacity which he with which he loves his brother. Seth Gecko loves his brother mm-hmm. and puts up with his brother is something that uh, George Clooney had talked about having like having had a relationship like that in his life. And so he goes from that mulleted kid on the facts of life to this guy yeah. by transition. I mean, I know he's got a long and storied career. This is an Ocean's Eleven shot, but oh, his first his first foray into the, the movies is whoo. the natural charm, right? I For mean, sure. he, he was, he's the bad guy. He's mm-hmm. a killer. Mm-hmm. He has his own rules, but when he has 
we're losing Rob again. We got Rob. Rob's gonna Rob's gonna check and see maybe there's a window open or something like that on the computer. Yeah. Okay, no interneters. Window. I'm gonna go check my internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is why we have to have Rob talking. He manages to tie it all together. And but, I think watching this, uh, I'll just say this about about Clooney in this: the first ten minutes of the, of the movie where he's in the movie, watching his interplay with Quentin Tarantino is so good because you watch Clooney desperately wanting to believe that his brother is telling the truth. Yeah. Knowing, knowing his brother not. has is not because he's seen this a thousand times and knowing his brother probably believes the crap that he's saying, it's Clooney just with his face communicates so much in that scene. It's great. Right. And this is one of the powerful things about having George Clooney in this role is he's, uh, like Robbie said, like a total natural charm that he brings to each one of his roles. And you've seen it a hundred times. You've seen it with him on the on the red carpet even. He's a graceful, gracious gentleman kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so was Seth Gecko, even though Seth had no illusions about himself. Seth was an absolutely evil man and he knew it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, So I think that he does that really, really well. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. So they got they got Tarantino, they, they got, got Clooney, and they get Harvey Keitel. Oh, and Harvey Keitel. I mean, we could talk forever about Ke- Harvey Keitel and the the long and storied career that he has had. Um, mm-hmm. But this particular one, he sort of he, he sort of plays against type. He's a uh, preacher who's lost his faith and uh, lost his wife, and that's how he lost his faith. And uh, he takes his children, and he's sort of just going to try and start over. Mm-hmm. But normally, Keitel plays, and he's uh, he's quite famous for working two things, working with brand new directors, which is how he gets into this movie, is he's he's he wants to work with Tarantino because Tarantino is new and fresh, and he wants to do that. He's done that a lot in his career. He did it with Scorsese as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he studied at the... He, he as an actor studied um, with the actor's studio with uh, um, Lee Strasberg, which is amazing to me. Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg, because he's, he's old enough, he's 80-something yeah, now. Yeah, um, if you guys are listening to the podcast, we have a picture of him up here in his current age. Yeah. And it's, uh, everybody gets older, but it's still pretty jarring when you just remember it's 25 years ago and yeah, he did, he exactly. did the movie, yeah. Um, but he... Um, 
he takes this role and he plays sort of against type for him. He had been in Bad Lieutenant where he was an evil, evil, evil guy. He's been in a lot of Scorsese movies. He's been mm-hmm. in, he was obviously, he becomes uh, Walter, uh, Winston Wolf, who's absolutely oh, yes. a bad man. Incredible. And in this movie, Incredible. in From Dust Till Dawn, he plays against type and he ends up being a, a very patient, very honorable man. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't serve that character well, but uh, it, it serves his kids well, for sure. And I love that. And then we have, rounding out the cast, Juliette Lewis, in the role of Preacher's daughter, Kate Fuller, for this movie. Uh, she plays it pretty straight until they're inside the bar. She uh, has long been recognized as one of Hollywood's most talented, versatile actors of her generation. Her debut performance in Cape Fear was Oscar-nominated. 14, I, she's she was 14 years old. 14. Yeah, pretty good start. Really, she's another one when you think about her body of work. And to date, she has worked with some of the most revered directors in the industry, Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, Hallstrom, Oliver Stone, Gary Marshall, and uh, we've. I, I realized today, babe. I realize I've never seen Natural Born Killers. Never oh seen my it. goodness! I can't. Oh even my god! That. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah. So we'll probably have to add that to Story Smack. I will say, I found out an interesting tidbit researching Juliette Lewis for this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has this enormously powerful career. She's never been in a Best Picture nominated uh, really? movie. Yeah. Wow. I find that that's pretty interesting. Or maybe a uh, winning, winning movie. Maybe it's winning. Well, movie. that's just because old school got screwed. <laughs> <laughs> and this is on screen now. This is her in uh, Natural Born. Well, that's yeah. her now. Uh, and then the, the blonde one is her in Natural, Natural Born, Born Killers. And Howard points out she's also, uh, she's a rock musician. She's a singer in her own band. Yeah. And she, right at the height of her, like, at, like Natural Born Killers, Californication, all of that. Or California, sorry. All mm-hmm. of that. Um, they, uh, she quits. For six years to pursue her music full time. Which is so fun. And guess what? She came back and started acting again. She's a powerhouse. Yep. And that, Rob, that brings us to the scene stealer of the movie. Mm. None other Speaking than... Speaking of powerhouses. Hi, Tiny. Uh, Selma Hayek. Well, I got distracted just from this picture. Rob, tell us, <laughs> Rob, tell us about Selma Hayek, please. Well, all you need to know is that her costume fitting didn't take very long. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, Selma Hayek is the... the, uh, the the lead temptress vampire stripper queen, kind mm-hmm. of, right? Mm-hmm. And and Scott's right. When she hits the screen, she does this dance with this giant, like, 11-foot snake wearing next to nothing, just golden, curvy, glorious, mm-hmm. wonderful. Oh, no. We had Rob Rock in there. Dang it, we just lost Rob. Oh. Sorry, Rob. Uh, we'll finish I'm up. Gone, gone, or am I just mostly? You're gone? kind of in this. You're, you're, you're kind of all of a sudden. You're auto tuning. You're like a Backstreet Boy in here. Yeah, so. <laughs> but Rob has point. I think Rob's point out. Selma has a fear of snakes. Mm-hmm. Did she, Rob? She tried to let, talk. Let, let me on? try to get this out, Scott. I'll okay. do it quickly. So Go. fear of snakes. Um, almost didn't get the part until they told her that Madonna would get it if she couldn't dance with the snake. Okay. So she went to a therapist and a hypnotist what? for months uh-huh. to try and put herself in a trance to be able to dance with the snake. That's insane. Wait. That's and, that, and she did it. And she did it. Yep. And she did it. How much, how much prep for the dance itself did she have to do? Uh, there was no choreographer. Basically, Rodriguez said, eh, just go to the music. And I so mean, that whole dance you see with her. Mm-hmm. Like unscripted. She, and, and that's why she interacts with the snake so well. You know, it climbs through her hair and then she lets it wrap around her hand and she kind of sticks her hand out. She's she's improvising 
that entire get dance, out. you know, until they get to the part where whiskey. I think Rob's saying probably you have to put with the foot, the part with the foot. Yeah, in the mouth. Put pouring yeah. the whiskey that, that in Tarantino. Yeah, set up yeah, cameras. Yeah, of course. Okay. But then, let's give her credit. I don't know if you're still hearing me. If you get this, um, she stood on one leg and lifted her own leg over, licked off her thigh. All standing on one leg. And I kept looking around to see who was holding her hand or holding her up. No, she did that all on her own. Yep. Wow. But you'd think she'd be kind of tough. And it worked. Well, so one of the things that I find interesting as the the one, uh, one, one person here who's probably worn, one host who has worn the most high heels, mm-hmm. is the first thing that I looked at when I first saw this movie when she came out after the snake and the boobs. Come on. Mm-hmm. Was if she was wearing shoes, because walk. I did when I was nineteen. I actually did uh, walk on a bar and pour tequila shots as part of my job. And uh, I, I, the only way I would ever do that is in absolutely flat shoes. And she wasn't wearing any shoes at all. She wow. was like, you know what? I'll do this. And she had, of course, she would have had to manage the shoe for the for the whiskey pour, but. Smart. If she was going to trance herself and she had to pour the whiskey, she was was like, look, okay, I'll do the snake, but I'm not wearing flipping shoes. (laughs) One uh, one, uh, really incredible scene, incredible talent at work there with all the things she had to overcome for that. Now, Rob, what we're going to do is uh, as we continue, we're going to try and manage bit, bit traffic on the fly. So talk a little bit slower. And take a pause between sentences because it's kind of building up with your connection and then cutting off. We'll see if that works. If not, we'll we'll just boot your ass and we'll figure it out for, yeah, for next and, week. Yeah, uh, and Robbie and I were talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie and I were talking earlier, so I can jump in if I need to. Um, we were going to move into sort of talking about, and I mentioned this at the top of the hour, this particular time in American movie making includes this class of, of what film loves to call auteurs and mm-hmm. i do think this class belongs there and they're very at the time they're very miramax driven which mm-hmm. is fine mm-hmm. um there's allison anders who who is was super powerful and a, a, a female director there's obviously robert rodriguez there's quentin tarantino there's kevin smith there's uh, a whole bunch of folks uh, uh, alexandre rockwell um mm-hmm. who make these really powerful very uh, tiny movies, right? They're not Oliver Stone making JFK. They're making a story about a titty bar on, on the south side of the border that is full of vampires. That's a tiny movie when you think about its scope in in American society, but they make powerful statements, you know? And I love them so much, and there's so many uh, sort of interconnected stories yep. of Tarantino and Rodriguez and that whole class. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so Tarantino and Rodriguez... <laughs> They met when they did Four Rooms. Okay. Which is a movie with essentially four separate tiny movies. And Antonio Banderas. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's and they each one. did one. That's how they met. But the cool thing to A's point is that they're from very different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And yet their similarities in filmmaking made them friends immediately. Yep. For sure. And they just kept helping each other. And working together mm-hmm. uh, and eventually came together where they did, um, you know, the, the, the Grindhouse movie, which mm-hmm. is, again, two separate movies that kind of inter- kind of inter- inter- movie was almost like a, uh, a test case, uh-huh. right? Because this is really, first half is a Tarantino crime movie and the second half is a Rodriguez 
horror movie. Right. And just in case that cut out a little bit, so just in case anybody didn't hear that, he's we talked about this earlier too. The first half of this movie is absolutely a Tarantino crime movie. Absolutely more akin to Pulp Fiction than mm-hmm. it is to uh, Sin City. And the second half is absolutely a Robert Rodriguez horror film. Yeah. And uh, I think I think it works really well. And I think that their collaboration is a really wonderful thing because they work uh, over and over again with the same actors, the same um, DPs, the same uh, crew, the same, ca- you know, the same movie uh, makeup people. They do all of this because... The more you know, the more you know. And mm. if it's working, why mess with it? And they made mm-hmm. all these beautiful things. Uh, Howard, yeah, uh, Gas Food and Lodging is a, Gas Food Lodging is an amazing movie. Is an Alison Anders movie for sure. Yeah, yeah. And- all right, so Scotty, if if the audio is going to be a problem, I should probably just go and let you guys finish. But let it's, me. I just want to get one thing in. Get here. that point out. This is how Rodriguez stayed away from this being an NC seventeen movie because. Mm. They were really beginning to crack down in the mid-90s. Okay. He made all the vampire blood green mm-hmm. instead of red. Are you kidding? And that was enough for it to be fantasy blood instead of real blood. Mm-hmm. So you've got naked vampires running around. You've got Selma mm-hmm. Hayek grinding it down with a snake, yep. doing some foot oral action with There's one of the actors. There's a huge amount of violence. There is an enormous amount of enormous violence. Enormous amount of violence. Explosions, violence, Rape, people getting murder. shot all over the place. And it green blood was the thing that got him out of it. Well, because yep. and that's that's actually pretty standard for for the movie MPAA or whatever it is right. because um, they don't care too much about actual physical violence against human beings mm-hmm. unless it's gory. <laughs> and this movie has uh, just a, a ton of people, a ton of great actors in various roles playing multiple parts. Tom Savini, who plays, what? Should, should we let Robbie go? Oh, uh, yeah, head out, Rob. Thank you so much. All right. Enjoy the rest of the movie. <laughs> Screw right. you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> so let me, uh, uh, we're going to keep the, let's Thank go you to so the main much, Rob. camera. Bye. You guys listening to podcasts at home, we're going to send Rob, and we're having some slight, some slight problems here with uh, the internet connection. So we'll go here, and I turn this off if I can find it. You, you want me to talk while you do this? Now that Rob's gone? Yeah. Black rectangle. No, uh, we're, we're good. We're good. Now, here we go. So now, uh, if you guys are listening to this at home, the podcast, if you're still listening after our, our troubles, we've got the chat window up right now. We do this live every other Saturday. We do it at 2 o'clock Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. And we interact with people watching it live who are in the chat room right now, talking things up. This movie... A lot of people playing different roles. Tom Savini plays Sex Machine. He's a legendary stuntman, and he is the special effects creator behind movies like Dawn of the Dead. And mm-hmm. uh, who else, babe? Uh, well, so Tom Savini's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tom Saxon, who plays FBI agent Chase, is an actor who appeared in Enter the Dragon and a uh, cop in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And Fred Williamson, and I love this one, um, who plays Frost, who was in many, many of the black exploitation movies in the 70s. What's interesting about Fred Williamson is he had rules. He was a, a bigger, you know, big star at the time. Okay. <clears throat> and he had three rules when selecting a movie role. One was he could not be killed in the movie. <laughs> okay. Two, he had to win any fight he was in. And three, he always gets the girl at the end of the movie. 
and uh, and then he gets offered this role, uh-huh. and he broke every single one of his own rules because he wanted to be in this movie so bad, and he justified it by saying, "Well, I'm a vampire, so like I didn't die, and I, right. you know, and I don't care about a girl if I'm a vampire." Right. And he did the movie anyway, which I love. And of course, as, as David <laughs> pointed out in the chat room, Cheech Marin plays three characters: Mexican border guard, the strip club doorman, and the gangster Carlos. Yeah, and he he becomes a vampire at the end. So there's the there's also um, the potential that he. Four roles. Four, yeah, he, does, he only becomes a vampire. It doesn't do much there. But yeah, it, what's interesting about this is, so uh, Cheech, uh, Cheech Marin is a big, big fan of Robert Rodriguez, even back there, because okay. of El Mariachi. Yeah. And he Robert Rodriguez is a, like a second cousin or something, or third cousin to Danny Trejo. Uh-huh. So he ends up in the movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and goes on to work with Robert Rodriguez and make Machete and Machete Kills and all that stuff. Okay. Um, but Cheech Marin also knows him and is like, yeah, no, I definitely want to be in this. And so yeah. he plays, he essentially is a chorus member. Back in the Greek play days, the chorus did a whole bunch of tiny little roles around the way. Things. Oh, that's great. And he does the same thing because he just couldn't not be in it. <laughs> it it's... It- it harkens back Rodriguez, Tarantino. They they tend to work with a lot of the same people, a lot of the same actors and actresses, and stunt people, DPs, etc. It's it it really it really feels like they are this group of friends who are all very very impressed with each other's work. Mm-hmm. Like, and they it feels like this whole crew is kind of like kids on Christmas. Like, oh, I yeah. get, I get to work with you again. Well, and yeah. there are even some funny, fun, fun things in here. So Tom Savini, who is a world-class working today, absolutely world-famous makeup and special effects guy, is a vampire in this movie. And he doesn't do a lot of... Um, Uh, behind-the-scenes work in this movie, but he also doesn't do a lot of acting. So during the scene, when the vampires come out, when the vampires become vampires, Mm -hmm. um, there's a big bar. If you haven't seen it, I don't know why you're watching, but a big bar scene, big bar fight, vampires versus humans, and Tom Savini, not an actor, actually throwing punches, (laughs) (laughs) including hitting George Clooney. I love that story so much. So he supposedly really hit George Clooney. He really hit everybody because he's not an actor. He's, he's been in, at that point he's been making movie special effects probably for 20 years, Okay, but he's not an actor. So he's like, sure I can be in a bar fight. Shaboom. (laughs) And like doesn't realize you're not, you're supposed to pull your punches. Oh my God. That must've been, uh, (laughs) the insurance people must've been fired up. And we've got other great, great bit characters in this. Michael Parks plays, Sheriff Earl McGraw, which is, again, going to that first 10 minutes of the movie I talked about in the open of this, where you've got a character completely setting the stage for the whole rest of the movie, giving you all the backstory, doing it in a fun way. He ate some bad food. Mm-hmm. He's got the poops. He's trying and he's just trying to, to shoot the crap with the guy, uh, the the drugstore or the, uh, the convenience, convenience store the clerk. convenience store clerk. And he does this wonderful performance, this whole deadpan thing. And then, boom, he's dead. He's out. That's all part of all the, like, that's Tarantino film. The first 10 minutes kind of sets everything up, mm-hmm. and then here's our stage, and then we sort of start the movie. And and, and uh, Parks played in Kill Bill Volume 1, and he was also in Planet Terror. Which is part of the grindhouse. Yes. Part of it, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, also, there are a whole bunch of callbacks that you see over and over again. Uh, the big kahuna burgers that they eat in the hotel room at the beginning when he comes back with food for the bank clerk and, and his brother, or Seth comes back with that, and of course the bank clerk is now dead. They eat um, <clears throat> from a restaurant called Big Kahuna, yeah. which was in Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. Of course, that's a tasty burger. Yeah, and the cho- <laughs> the Chongo beer uh, is from the bar in Desperado. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, wow. it's kind of a, That's, yeah, it's a pretty uh, I, neat thing. People love those Easter eggs. Like, we are in the middle of writing GFL Book 7, uh, and we're recording the audiobook for um, The Stone Wolves. And both of those books, uh, a huge part of the game, the fun, interactive game I play with my work, is I'm going to throw in a lot of Easter eggs from previous books and see who catches it. It doesn't affect the story if you don't catch it. If you do, it's that little moment of, oh, I know what that thing is, mm-hmm. and that matters, that, that kind of holds your attention and it makes it more personal. Plus, if you've ever read any of my work, you will recognize probably 10 to 15 Quentin Tarantino movie lines. It worked yeah, in sure. as dialogue in every one of my books. Well, and uh, we just had this happen, and this is why it's so wonderful and why it's super fun to watch a Tarantino-Rodriguez um, collaboration or watch any of the movies that sort of are in that time frame because you see this little interconnectivity that we as junk- Sigler junkies love so much. Um, we actually just had somebody uh, email and say, hey, maybe Scott should think about writing like, a, I don't know, Hot Midnight or Tentacles, Tentacles, and More Tentacles. <laughs> and we were like, wait, what? <laughs> so that's it's a, it's a pretty fun thing. I do, do I do way. have a rule. Someday I will write Hot Midnight. The rules are I have to be very drunk, maybe high, it's legal in California, don't hate me, and I have to write it from beginning to end, and I don't get to go back oh. at all. There's no going back and changing anything. It's just going to be a stream. I'll give myself an outline. An outline's fine, okay. but I, I will write Can it. Can we still edit it, though? Or Yeah, it'll go through the normal okay, editing okay, process. <laughs> but my normal editing process of, like, I've rewritten the book five times before it even gets to first draft status, before it mm-hmm. even gets passed off to anybody else. I think that would be that'd be pretty fun. Uh, Wade's Wade's got uh, old fraternity brother of mine, Wade Stitt, has his 22-year-old son listening to EarthCore right now. Yeah. Neat. Sweet. Neat. Sweet. Um, so we, I, I'm bummed because I love this movie so much and I love to talk movies with Rob. Um, but of course today we have connectivity issues so far. You're the only uh, host of story smack who's never missed a story smack. That's correct. Cause I, I had a uh, food poisoning once and had to, had to <laughs> drop out right before it began. Um, so there's so many fun, cool things we've been talking about, about this, uh, uh, generation I'll say of American directors. Um, one of the things that, uh, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez especially really, really loved the, what was called the Grindhouse movies in the 70s and the black exploitation movies in the 70s. The sort of gritty, dark, violent, mm-hmm. um, Fort Apache, the Bronx kind of movies. Uh, they loved them and wanted to bring that ethos into their work, even though they were telling, like I said, sort of s- smaller, self-contained horror stories. And I think they did a really good job of it. Like if you think about <clears throat> Night of the Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. That is on a bigger platform and telling a much bigger story. It's okay. it's it's oh gosh, now there are zombies probably everywhere. But that's not what's happening in these movies. And it doesn't happen in Sin City and it doesn't happen in, in Planet Terror and it doesn't happen in in this generation. And especially for Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, they tell quite in-depth but small stories. Um, I, if anybody's ever hung out with me at a Sigler Fest or something and we've ever talked about Tarantino, you know, I love him mm-hmm. and I hate hated the hateful eight and it, even so i have to say this about the hateful eight it is a self-contained story that has many many layers and is unique but it's also a small closed system and so we don't have to worry about all those terrible people infecting our lives and things like that and they do that really really and there was a there was a throwback at ezekiel twenty five seventeen, which is uh-huh. which is um samuel jackson's great biblical phrase from pulp fiction Mm-hmm. That was in. That was supposed to be in from Dust Till Dawn. It was meant to be spoken by Harvey Keitel's character as he fends off the vampires before being killed. Yep, and uh, Scott Fuller, who um, 
is the adopted child of Harvey Keitel and the uh, sister uh, or the brother of Juliette Lewis is wearing a T-shirt that says Precinct 16 yeah. or 13, sorry, which is an, uh, a nod to the John Carpenter movie uh, Assault on Pre- Precinct 13. Pre- <laughs> I, I keep saying 16. It's 13. Um, Robert Rodriguez is very vocal about um, John Carpenter having changed his whole life and changed his trajectory and made him want to make movies. So I mm. love that he always calls back John Carpenter as well. This is a cool tidbit. <laughs> Clooney's neck flame tattoo was inspired by the one in the 1994 New Zealand movie Once Were Warriors, mm. which starred Tamura Morrison, the actor who plays Jan- Django Fett slash Boba Fett. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. That's real cool. Yeah, yeah. And the, if you guys haven't seen um, that movie, uh, Once Were Warriors, it's uh, New Zealand. It's a Maori. It's Beautiful. Watch that if you can, too. Um, let's see. Due to the heavy number of special effects, the film had to be strictly budgeted okay. so that scenes would not have to be cut. That meant that only six full-body vampire suits could be made for the climax that literally had dozens of vampires in the wow. scene. So in the final scene, or in the final uh, film, uh-huh. the same six actors play every vampire who got killed they, uh, over and over and over again. So for the few scenes where there were just like uh, dozens of vampires, they just had some top-up makeup or did they uh, comp- composite They had uh, dummies, I think. They had dummies? They had a lot of oh dummies and then they had a lot of like just from the back, I think. Um, in some shots, dummies uh, were made for shots. Uh, oops. Uh, Dummies were made for shots where the vampires exploded, as well as puppets used for certain shots placed in the background along, along with cardboard cutouts. You are right. Um, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, a movie that was, uh, in today's dollars, $30 million budget, and, and they used all that budget, cutouts. and they had to have cardboard cutouts, mm-hmm. which is part of the magic of movie making. Oh, you know, sure, when yeah. you've got guys, uh, you've got people of this caliber, they... They know how it's going to look. They plan things out. And then the other thing you never see is they probably shot 15 different solutions or like, that looks like crap. That doesn't work. That looks fake. And eventually they keep they keep iterating till they come across, okay, if we put the cardboard cutouts here, put this light on it, that looks fine. Plus nobody's looking at that. You know? Yeah. And in the whole movie, so we have a handful of deaths at the beginning of the movie. We have the two people in the convenience store. We have the bank clerk. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Uh, not counting those three and whoever else dies along the way accidentally, uh, the movie count has the the movie's death count, kill count is one hundred and twenty two. So if you think about that's a that's absolutely a grown up NC seventeen movie in in any in any sense of the word, sure. except MPA doesn't care about sure. death; they care I would about like a, blood. <laughs> I, I, I have a bone to pick. Okay, or lacks of bones to pick, if you will. The Tito and Tarantula, the vampire band that plays Titty Twister, it's a Chicano stoner rock group formed in 92 by underground music figure Tito LaRiva. T plus T previously contributed songs to Robert Rodriguez' Desperado. The lineup also featured Robert Rodriguez and Oingo Boingo drummer Johnny Vatos Hernando. Tito did some music for the movie Repo Man and the porn movie New Wave Hookers. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. We watched them play. And it's a great band, and it that that it's dirty rock. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's the whole bar is jumping. Mm-hmm. Then when everybody reveals their true form and shows that they are vampires, they are their instruments. Their instruments are dead bodies. And first of all, no way to keep that in tune. There's no way to get the second. And also, of all, what are the strings? The strings are just kind of some flappy stuff. That's Look, not how that works. As a musician, you that's not how any of that works. Which means <laughs> which means the whole time they were lip syncing. They were they not were playing those it. songs. 
those vampires are lip syncing. <laughs> and as a musician, I'm not happy that they got that choice gig at the Titty Twister Bar with a backing track. It's a bunch of bunk. I mean, I'm pretty sure nobody cares when Selma Hayek comes out. To be fair. And they, she was absolutely not lip syncing <laughs> at all, you guys, at I all. I cannot believe most, most of that dance was uh, improvised. Uh, Rob uh, Otto is now in the, in the <laughs> chat room, and he also points out that the New Wave Hookers uh, movie uh, featured an underaged Tracy Lords. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Tracy Lords. If you guys are not familiar with that name, Tracy Lords was the the queen of porn for, for quite a while. Became She was one of the breakout. She might have been the, the first major breakout celebrity to kind of cross over to and one of the very Current few who still culture. have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who still, done still have done. Um, if you guys don't know this, Tarantino and uh, Howard, back me up. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is true. Tarantino is not a fan of lip syncing. Uh, not lip syncing, ad libbing. Sorry, um, but and Robert Rodriguez actually n- not nearly as offended by um, by ad libbing. But the line that that Seth Gecko says when he says, "No thanks, I've already had a wife." was an improv line by George Clooney and Robert Rodriguez was like, yeah, we don't need that. We're going to cut that out. And then the studio, when they made a trailer, left it in the trailer. So he was like, geez, I guess I got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> a nice, uh, another Hollywood connection. The movie's makeup artist, one of the movie's makeup artists was Greg Nicotero, who he, he is the guy in the movie that uh, Sex Machine swipes the beer from. Mm-hmm. That, of course, he oversees the makeup effects on AMC's The Walking Dead. Greg Nicotero is the guy who actually started the, the, got the process of The Walking Dead going and has been involved in a bunch of lawsuits when they kind of bumped him off of the mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. We were, we had something in front of Greg Nicotero. Actually, we infected in front of Greg Nicotero uh, several years ago. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, but I mean, it would have been freaking awesome. Yeah. He's in a he's a very very powerful powerful yeah, guy. Yeah, what's so crazy about this is there are so many special effects in this movie, but this might be the biggest um confluence of special effects artists so many. <laughs> on the screen yeah. that we've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And uh this movie it, although it, as we pointed out in the open, it didn't have world-crushing box office numbers to start out with, but mm-hmm. it survived on DVD and it kept going that way. Eventually spawned two sequels, mm-hmm. which I've not seen either. I've heard they're not good. Well, I mean, um, this, the From Dust Till Dawn series, Robert Rodriguez was part of, so it's mm-hmm. it's different, I'll say. And he I, was a I, producer. Yeah, but he was hands-on. I'm, uh, he, uh, well, wait, there's there's the two sequel movies, which he was yeah. a producer, and then he was in charge of the TV show yeah. on so, L. Ray Network. And so the series itself was different, uh, the, different enough that it, I'm fine with that. I was not a great big fan of the, the sequels at of all. Of the sequels? Um, okay. I mean, they're, they're, they're not terrible, but they're not Rodriguez movies, for sure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, we apologize for the internet jumping up and biting Rob in the internet The cutest sack. movie Maven we ever did see. He is the cutest movie Maven we ever yeah. did see. But he had a little bit of trouble with the technology today. So if you have listened this far in the podcast, thank you for putting up with it. We hope you've enjoyed us chit-chatting mm-hmm. about this awesome movie. And baby, what do we got coming up next week? So, or next uh, two weeks, two from, weeks now. from now, yeah. um, we have yet another uh, Miramax Wonderkind. Uh, we're going to watch The Boondock Saints because it'll just be a few days after St. Patrick's Day. And The Boondock Saints was written and directed, conceived, written and directed by Troy, Troy Duffy. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have the time and the interest, it's a fascinating. It's, I love the movie. Um, the movie is this hugely popular cult classic. But there's also a movie called Overnight um, that is a documentary that Troy Duffy paid to have 
made during the making of um, the Boondock Saints, both are fascinating. And so you have two weeks. Might as well watch them both. And uh, we will be back on March 20th. And here's the here's the lineup coming. So on March 20th, Boondock Saints. Mm-hmm. On April 3rd, Coming to America. We had planned to do Coming to America before they put out Coming to America 2, but they just changed their mind. And just They released it yesterday. So yeah. there you go. It's out. And then on 417, we're going to do the 10th anniversary of Thor. One, mm-hmm. uh, most of the Marvel movies are pretty dang good. Thor is definitely in the and top. And I haven't top seen bunch. it. You've never seen Thor? Nope. Okay, or Ragnarok. Great, great. Ra- Ragnarok. Thor, Rag- it's Thor 2, I think, was not great. And then the Ragnarok one was, was fantastic. Uh, and on May the 1st, we're going to do Rogue One, one of my, one of, if not my favorite Star Wars movie. And we'll talk so much about how the people who wrote that were just immersed in the lore. We're making all these connections, same connections we were just talking about the Rodriguez movie. And then 515, ladies and gentlemen, May 15th, we're going to be doing John Wick because John Wick 4 is out on May 20th. So going over that again, please join us for the Boondock Saints. (laughs) Don't do that. Never mess with a good man. Two weeks on March 20th, Boondock Saints. A knows a ton about the Boondock Saints. It's very fun. On April 3rd, Coming to America, the original, April 17th, Thor. May the 1st be with you with Rogue One. And on May 15th, we're going to do the original John Wick. Sounds good. And I think that does it since we've already sadly lost our movie, Maven. I yes. will tell you that this was this is it for episode 66.6 of Story Smack. Uh, you can find Scott and I online. Uh, Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler and at twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler and at YouTube.com slash Scott Sigler. That's right. That's right. Uh, I am at a real girl on Twitter. And at a dot real dot girl on Instagram. I don't spend a ton of time on Twitter or Facebook, so if you need to reach me, just email me at info at empty set. That'll work. That'll work. You can find more about Story Smack <clears throat> at Facebook.com slash Story Smack. We don't have an actual webpage for the series. We just run over Facebook. And I, I, I'll be honest, I do a terrible job at updating the information there. So if you just are watching, you can watch this every other week at this address as I just mentioned, Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, YouTube.com slash Scott Sigler, mm-hmm. Twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, and apparently LinkedIn now, but I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> In addition to Story Smack, we do a once weekly live stream called Sigler In Place. It's every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. We do it for just about an hour, and you can find it wherever you're watching this, and we hope you join us there, too. And we release an unabridged episode of one of my books, Serialized full-length novels. You can get them every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, and more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe. Sign up with your favorite podcatcher. That's a phrase that the kids used to use back in the day. The podcatcher. Sign up with your favorite podcatcher and listen to this voice talk to you every gosh darn Sunday. It's great. Uh, Okay, so that is it for us. Please subscribe, follow us, hang out with us. What else are you doing? Not quite yet, (laughs) unless you have a vaccine, not too much. So come on and join us. And until then... Until then, baby. We will talk to you all real soon. soon.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.